Well, tonight we're going to talk about a psalm that David wrote um, in regards to a situation in his life. And the, uh, the title that Charles Spurgeon gave this psalm is Deliverance from Great Peril. Deliverance from Great Peril. So we're going to, we're going to go through this tonight and, and see what we can learn about being delivered from great peril. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord God, for the opportunity to study your word. God, I pray in Jesus' name, God, that you would lead us and guide us and direct us, Father God, that you would help us, Almighty God, to follow your word with all of our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength, Father. Lord, let your glory touch our hearts, Lord God. Let your spirit touch our souls. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, we're going to start tonight with some background, and uh, we're going to kind of go through 1 Samuel here. A little bit and a little bit of David's life. So if you'll turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 17, I'm going to talk to you first of all about a very familiar story that probably everybody knows, and that is that David killed Goliath. And uh, 1 Samuel 17, uh, verse, verse 45, I know you know the story, but just to catch you up, there was a the the Israel the Israeli army and the Philistine army were battling through a each one of them was on high ground, and they came down into the valley to battle. And Goliath would show up. He was nine foot six inches tall. Uh, his spear weighed 18 pounds. The coat of mail that he wore weighed about 285 pounds. He's a he's a man's man. He's a man of war. He's a man that's known war since he was a kid. He's a he's a tough tough guy. He's so tough that even the seasoned Israelite army would not go against him. He was he was intimidating. He was scary. And he was, uh, he was just a, a, a big, strong man of war. And you know the story. David showed up, little 17-year-old, maybe 16-year-old, freckle-faced kid, ruddy complexion. So he's kind of red-headed, ruddy-looking. And he comes out there and he tells Saul that I'll, I'll go out there and fight the giant. And, and I think you know the story, but we're going to pick it up in uh, 1 Samuel 17, verse 45. It says, Then said David to the Philistine, you come against me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, <clears throat> the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled, defied. And this day will the Lord deliver thee into my hand, and I will smite thee and take thy head from thee, and I will give thy carcasses to the of the host of the Philistines this day and to the fowls of the air and the wild beasts of the field, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel." And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saves not by the sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. And it came to pass when the Philistines arose and came, drew near to meet David, that David hastened and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. David put his hand into his bag and took out a stone and slang it and smote the Philistine in the forehead, and the stone sunk into his forehead, and he fell back, he fell upon his face to the earth. And David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and smote the Philistine and slew him. And there was no sword in the hands of David, so he takes the Philistine's sword and cuts off his head. Well, that, of course, elevated David in the eyes of everyone. And so the next thing we find, if we go to chapter 18, verse 5, we find that Saul promoted David immediately. He, he became Saul's liaison, if you would, to the military and as he would go out into battles, every time he would come back, he would be a little bit higher esteemed. And so Saul ended up making this 18, 19-year-old young adult the leader of the armies of Israel. Can, can you imagine that? Can you imagine a 20-year-old soldier being the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff? For the United States? But that's what you've got here. If we go down to uh, verse 5. It's in chapter 18, it said, And David went out, moreover Saul sent him, and he behaved himself wisely. And Saul sent him over the men of war, and he was accepted in the sight of all the people, and also in the sight of Saul's servants. So David went out there, and because of his exploits, and because he was wise, and because he, he conducted himself properly, he was exalted and picked up till he, till actually Saul made him commander-in-chief of the army, and then in, ver in chapter, uh, uh, chapter, the next chapter, no, in, no, in 18, the next thing we find is that Saul offered to make good 
on his uh, marriage to David, so, uh, to one of his daughters. Uh, the, the, the promise is in 1725. It says at the end of it, he says, And the king will rich, enrich him with great riches and give him his daughter and make his house free in Israel. And in, verse, in chapter 18, we see Saul beginning to do this because he says um, in 18 verse 17, he says, And Saul says to David, Behold my elder daughter Mereb, her will I give thee to wife, but only be valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles. For Saul said, Let not my hand upon him, but let the hand of the Philistines be upon him. And Saul said, Who am I and what is my life and my family's family in Israel that I should be the son-in-law of the king? But when it came to pass at the time when Merib, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David, she was given to Adriel the Maholathite to wife. So what we read here is that Saul tried to get David to marry his oldest daughter, which he had promised. But David, in his humility, said, I'm not worthy to be a son-in-law to the king. And he wouldn't accept and so the Mirab was simply given to another. It wasn't, a, it wasn't a slight by Saul. It was just that David wouldn't do it. He said, I'm, 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 not, I'm not worthy to be a, the king's son-in-law. And so he wouldn't do it. So, so Mirab was given to another one. Um, David, in his humility, if you're, if you're following me, I'm on the, I'm on the uh, oh, I missed one. There, I, knew, I knew I was doing something wrong here. I knew I was missing. So number three, here, here's the point I should have made. So David rapidly advanced, and they set him over all the men of war, but Saul became jealous of him because the ladies, the, the older women, the older women began to sing, Saul has slayed his thousands. Saul has slayed his thousands. Remember how old David is? 19, 20 years old? Saul's much older. And the older women are singing, Saul has slayed his thousands. And then the younger women come in in a refrain and say, yeah, but David slain his ten thousands. So all the young girls are infatuated with David and saying, yeah, Saul slayed it, but David slayed his ten thousands. So Saul kind of gets upset about it. So what does he do? Well, I missed this point, so here we go. Um, if you look at point number three, it says that Saul became jealous of David because of the people and demoted David from the commander of all the armies, he demoted him to a captain over a thousand. Uh, 18 verse 12 says, and Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him and had departed from Saul. Therefore Saul removed David from him and made him captain over a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. So even though David was demoted, David still carried himself with the same integrity as he did whenever he was over the entire armies. And you know that because when it came time that I just read out of order that Saul tried to give David his daughter, which he was supposed to give him whenever, that, whenever the giant was killed, but he did not. Now he decides to do it. And David, even though he's been demoted from over the armies down to the captain of a thousand, he considers himself unworthy to be a king's son-in-law. So he denies that. He won't, he won't become the king's son-in-law. And, and the Merib's given to another. So I, I, I want you to kind of see what's going on here. Um, if, I, if I follow the sheet instead of winging it, uh, the next thing says, Saul then deceitfully offers his other daughter, Michael, to David, and then he sets a, da a dowry so David could earn his place in the king's family, which David fulfilled, and he marries Michael. So if you go down, uh, go over to... Um, Go to verse 20. It says, And Michael saw daughters loved David, and they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. And Saul said, I will give him her, that she may be a snare to him, that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Wherefore Saul said to David, Thou shalt this day be my son-in-law in the one of the twain. And Saul commanded his servants, commune secretly with David, and say, Behold, the king hath the light in thee. And 23 says, And Saul's servants spake these words in the ears of David. 24 um, 24 says, uh, or 25 said, and, and Saul said, Thou shalt say to David, The king desires not any dowry, but a hundred foreskins of the Philistines to be avenged of the king's enemies. So in order to marry David, Saul's daughter, Saul wanted him to go and put himself in harm's way and kill a thousand, a hundred Philistines. But, but Saul thought to make David fall by the hands of the Philistines. And when his servants, I'm on 26th, when his servants told David these words, it pleased the king 
it's pleased David well to be the king's son-in-law. And David arose and went and slew 200 men. He, he gave him double what he asked for. And so then he was married to Micah. So um, the, the, bottom, the bottom last one, last bullet says, when all the schemes of Saul had failed to kill or discredit David, then Saul took matters into his own hands and sought to kill David himself. So I know I've read a lot of scripture, but let me just give you the Reader's Digest version here. David killed Goliath, and then he came back as Saul's personal liaison, and he established himself to the point that Saul promoted him and made him king, leader of all the armies. But whenever people started liking David or talking about David better than they were talking about Saul, then Saul got jealous. And then he demoted David from the leader of the armies down to the leader of a thousand. Then he tried to get, tried to get him to marry his, his daughter, and he wouldn't do that because he, he didn't feel he was worthy to be a king's son. So then he, he found out Michael loved him. So he said, well, I'll let you marry Michael, but you've got to go kill 100 men in order to do it. So David went out and killed 200. So everything Saul tried to do backfired on him. And, and so whenever all else failed, when we go to chapter 19, I'm not going to read. It says verses 8 through 18. I'm not going to read all that. But I, I, I will read here uh, beginning at verse, well, I'll start with 8. It says, And there was war again, and David went out and fought with the Philistines and slew them with a great slaughter, and they fled from him. And the evil spirit of the Lord was upon Saul as he sat in the house with his javelin in his hand. And David played for Saul. He played for him to try to calm the evil spirits around him. And Saul starts, sought to smite David even to the wall with the javelin. But he slipped away out of Saul's presence. And he smote the javelin into the wall. And David fled. And then Saul sent messengers unto David's house to watch for him, to slay him in the morning. And Micah, David's wife, told him, if, you, if, you, if thou save not your life tonight, tomorrow you're going to be killed. So Michael let David down through a window, and he went out and fled. And Michael took an image and laid it in a bed and put a pillow of goat's hair uh, for, his, for his covering and covered him up with a cloth. And whenever Saul's men sent to take David, she said, he's sick. So Saul sent messengers again to see David, saying, Bring him to me that I may slay him. And the messengers came in. Behold, she had put a dummy, an image, in the bed. And Saul said unto Michael, Why have you deceived me so? And let him escape. And Michael said, he, he told me, Let him go. Why should I kill you? She lied. She helped him down. She, she, she helped him escape. So here's the story. David rose to, the, to a great height, and then because of the jealousy of one man, he was demoted, he was put in harm's way, he was tricked, and then when nothing else seemed to work, then the guy that, that demoted him came out there to try to kill him. And he had to escape by being let out of a window. So how would that possibly relate to our lives today? Well, let's say you're working for somebody and you're doing a really great job and you're really getting everybody's attention and when you go to meetings, people really like you and all of a sudden your boss realizes that, or at least he thinks you might take his job. So he tells you, hey, I don't want you going to these meetings anymore. I'll take care of your business. So he tells you you can't go to these meetings. But somehow you still manage to impress someone that's above him. So then he starts slowly removing responsibilities to you until really all you're doing is just menial tasks. Before you were walking on water, leaping tall buildings in a single bound, but now all of a sudden all you're doing is you're just doing menial things where you're never noticed, you're never seen, you, no one ever knows where you're at, but somehow in the midst of all that, you still get noticed. And so then what does he do? He starts trying to poison your career. He starts, he starts putting you in positions where, where you, you end up looking bad. He tries to poison your career. And this is what you see with Saul. So has anybody ever been in a situation like that where you were underneath somebody, you were doing well, 
You started getting noticed and they started putting you on the back burner as fast as possible. Have you ever been in a situation like that? You have? So how should we respond? Well, David, when he got ran out of his own home to keep from getting killed, wrote, wrote a psalm about it. And if we go to the 59th Psalm, we may learn some things about how to respond in such a situation. Because, you know, a lot, a lot of times, and it, it doesn't have to be a work situation, it could be a friendship situation where you're friends with somebody and there's four or five of y'all in the group, you know, and y'all are doing everything together. Y'all are going out together. Y'all are going to eat together. You're, you're, you're having a good time together. You've got Taco Tuesdays that you go to. You know, you're just having a good time as friends and one of the friends starts liking you seemingly liking you better. They start calling you during the week and they start liking you, but another one of the girls in the group, she doesn't like you so much because now it seems like she wanted to be friends with her and now you're friends with her. Does this sound anything like a woman thing? So now she tries to she tries to kind of cut you out of the group and she starts inviting them and not inviting you. I think I've seen this. She starts inviting other people. She's, she's talking to the group. She's inviting their children over to her house to spend the night, but she never calls yours. And they're talking about fun things they're doing, but you weren't invited. Well, I thought we were all, I thought we were all friends. I thought we all went to church together. I thought we were all, we were all trying, to, trying to go to heaven. I thought we were all buddies. Well, you find out that maybe a little jealousy's got in there, and suddenly you got buddied out. Huh? You ever seen that? You, you walk up there and they're kind of they're talking about what they were doing last week, but you weren't invited. And that kind of stuff happens. Why? Because of the jealousy of one person who wanted to have a good friend, who wanted to be a person's friend, you know. I mean, everybody wants to be in the cool, with the cool kids, right? Everybody wants to be with the cool kids. We all want to sit with the cool kids and we all want to be part of the cool, cool group, you know. And if somebody feels like that you're maybe bumping them, well, there has been situations where they tried to bump you out. And if that happens, whether it happens in the church or whether it happens out in the world or wherever it happens, what should your response be? And, and burning their house down is not correct. It's in case you were thinking it, Heather. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm playing with her. Do what? Start your own group. There you go. Start your own group. Well, I'll just start my own group. So what happens then? It, does it get better if you do that? No, it gets worse. That's not the proper response, but that's what the response is a lot of times. Start your own Facebook group. We'll, and then every now and then when your new Facebook group does something really cool, you'll tag one of them just so they know you're doing cool stuff too. Oh, that one hit home. That one hit home. <laughs> so what we're going to look at here for a few minutes is what the proper response should be. The 59th Psalm starts with this. It's in the title. It says, to the chief musician, Altasheth. And Altasheth, that word means destroy not. It's a cry of distress or a cry to crisis. So David's feeling the pain of being demoted, of being tricked, of being trying to be killed and now of being chased from his own home. He's feeling that and he's, he's crying out. It's a cry of distress. It's a cry to crisis. And he goes on to call it a Mitchum, M-I-C-H-T-A-M, Mitchum. And that word means a prayer or meditation considered as precious as stamped gold. So he's telling us that he was in a situation where it was a cry of distress. It was a crisis it was a moment of great stress in his life, but somehow through his stress, he learned something that's as precious as stamped gold. So let's see what he learned. Deliver me from mine enemies, O God. Deliver me from them that rise up against me. Deliver me from the workers of iniquity and save, them, save me from bloody men. For though they lie in wait for my soul, the mighty are gathered against me, not for my transgression, nor for my sin. I didn't, I didn't do anything to bring this on me. 
I, I wasn't, I didn't start any rumors. I didn't try to break anything up. I didn't, I didn't try to, to circum, circumvent my, start to circumcise, circumvent my boss. I didn't, I didn't, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I, man, I, I didn't do anything to cause this. I didn't do anything. They, they ran and prepared themselves without my fault. Awake to help me, and behold, thou therefore, O Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, awake to visit all the heathen. Be not merciful to any transgressors. Think about it. Selah. So there's his cry. There's his cry. Deliver me. I didn't have anything to do with this. This is not my fault. I didn't cause this. I didn't, I didn't try to start this. I wasn't a part of this. So deliver me from this mess. And as we keep going down it, we get to verse 8. Because verse 8 is where the response, the correct response when we find ourselves in this kind of situation is. Here's the correct response. Verse 8. But thou, O Lord, shall laugh at them. Thou shalt have all the heathen in derision. If you go to your verse, your, your, your sheet, you find that he's saying, because of God's, because of this strength, the great strength of my enemy, I will not choose to fight against my enemy, but I will wait upon thee. Verse 9 says, because of his strength will I wait upon thee, for God is my defense. He knows that God is more powerful than his enemies. He tells them you're going to laugh at them. You'll have them in derision. In other words, you'll make a laughing stock out of them. You're, you're more powerful than they are. But then he says, because of the great strength of my enemy, I will choose not to fight against my enemy, but I will wait upon thee. Now let's look for just a moment and see if David actually did that. Let's go. Um, well, the next thing I wrote on here is how do we wait? But let's, let's go to 1 Samuel. You're in Samuel or you're in Psalms. So go back to 1 Samuel chapter 24. He says, because of his great strength, I will wait upon the Lord. I will wait upon the Lord to exalt me. I will wait on the Lord to solve this. I will wait upon the Lord to fix this. I won't take, I won't take matters into my own hands. How easy is it to take matters into your own hands and to begin to plot and scheme on your own? But he said, I'm not going to do that. So let's go to 1 Samuel 24, verses 1 through 5. It says this, And it came to pass when Saul was returned from following the Philistines, that he was told, saying, Behold, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. And Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all of Israel and went to seek David and his men upon the rocks of the wild goats. And he came to the sheep coats by the way, and there was a cave. And Saul went in to cover his feet, and David and his men remained in the sides of the cave. So where is Saul? He's in the same cave David is. What's the odds of that? David's hiding in a cave and Saul shows up. Not only does Saul show up, but David, Saul went in there to cover his feet. What does that mean? He went in there to take a nap. He went somewhere where it was cool, in a cave. And he took and he laid down and he was taking a nap. And the men of David said unto him, Behold, the day which the Lord has said unto thee, Behold, I will deliver thine enemy into thy hand, that thou mayest do to him as it seems shall good. Then David arose and cut off the skirt of, Paul, of Saul's robe privily, and it came to pass afterwards that David's heart smote him because he had cut off his skirt. And David said unto his men, Listen, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing unto who? My master. The Lord's anointed to stretch forth my hand against him, seeing he is anointed of the Lord. Who made the Lord that man your boss? Who made that man your boss? I answered it, didn't I? The Lord made him your boss. God raises up. God puts down. That man, is, as, as far as you're concerned, was you were put under him by the Lord. The Lord raises up. The Lord promotes. The Lord takes care of all that. And so... Our job, whenever we were to catch this boss in an exposed position where we could really nail him, where we could write this one little email, 
and really nail him, we could really make him look bad. Our job is not to do that. As Christians. Because why? What did David say? I'm going to let the Lord do this. I'm not going to go out there and make my own way. I'm going to let the Lord do it. So if you catch your boss who has demoted you, who has put you out the pasture, who has tried to ruin your career, and you catch him in a position where he's vulnerable, and you say, oh, ho, 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 look, the Lord delivered him into my hand. One email, and I could ruin his career. What's your job to do? Your job is to go to him and show him the mistake so he can fix it. Ah, what do you think about that? I didn't, I'm not getting any amens. Why? Because you're allowing the Lord. Saul, David didn't kill Saul. He cut off his robe. And what, did he, what happened to his heart when he cut off his robe? It smote him. He got convicted. He said, oh, wait a minute. Who am I? I'm, I'm not supposed to be touching the Lord's anointed. Let's, let's look at another spot. Let's go to uh, 26, 8 through 11. Are y'all agreeing with me or disagreeing with me? 26, chapter 26, 8 to 11. Here's Saul once again. He's chasing David. And he's taken, he, the, the, the armies have taken a rest. So they're, they've, um, they're where they've pitched. And once again in verse 5, it says, Saul once again has taken a nap. And Abner the son of Ner, the captain of the host, and Saul lays in a trench and the people pinched around him. So he's got the army around him and Saul's over there laying in a cool place taking a nap. And we go down to verse, um, where are we going here? Verse 8, it says, Then said Abishai to David, God has delivered thine enemy into thine hand this day. Now let me therefore smite him, I pray thee, with the spear, even to the earth this once, and I won't, I won't smite him the second time. And David said to Abishai, Destroy him not, for who can stretch forth his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? And David said, Furthermore, as the Lord liveth, the Lord, the Lord shall smite him, and his day shall come to die, and he shall descend into battle and perish. But the Lord forbid that I should stretch forth my hand against the Lord's anointed. But I pray thee, take now the spear in his bolster and let us go. Once again, God put Saul into David's hand. He could have killed Saul. But he chose not to. He chose to let him live. He chose to, because he said, my hand won't be against my master. Now let me tell you something. If you read the Old Testament, you'll find that when Solomon was king, there's a guy, his name is Jeroboam, and a prophet comes to him and says, because Solomon's so wicked, God's going to give you ten tribes and leave, leave only one with David, with, with Solomon. God's going to give you ten tribes. He's going to make you king over ten tribes. And he's going to leave Solomon one. And Jeroboam goes out. And the first thing Jeroboam does is he stages a revolt. He tries to get a civil war going. He tries to take the ten tribes by force. Right off the bat. Doesn't, doesn't let God do anything. Doesn't give God time. Just immediately. Go, and, and, and Solomon ends up mounting an army against him. And Jeroboam has to retreat and run and hide until Solomon dies because he would not wait like David's waiting for God to do it. And so um, if, we, if we wait, here's, let's, let's go to Matthew, the fifth chapter. Now this fits in here. Let's go to Matthew chapter 5. This is the Sermon on the Mount. Let's read what Jesus said about our enemies about those that try to destroy us, about those that cut us out of groups, about those who try to turn people against us, about those who, who are not for us, who are against us. What does Jesus say about them? In Matthew 5, verse 44, he says, But I say unto you, Is it up there? Love your enemies. Love your enemies. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them to despitefully use you and persecute you. Now, that's not fun, Lord. That means I got to pray for them to where, till I love them. Verse 45. 
that you may be called children of your Father which is in heaven. For he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love them which love you, what reward do you have? Don't the publicans do the same? If you salute your brethren only, what do you more than others? Do not even the publicans be this, do the same? Therefore be perfect even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Now this goes against everything that's within you. Everything within you. If you're struck, you want to strike back. But, but Jesus talks about that too. He says if somebody strikes you on the cheek, what are you supposed to do? Turn the other cheek. But then people say, well, yeah, but after they hit you again, God doesn't say what to do. <laughs> it's not the point. The point is if you're struck, if, if someone strikes you, turn the other cheek. The, the point is if you have an enemy, don't go after them trying to destroy them. Pray for them. Bless them. Do good to them. Ain't this popular preaching? I know this Bible study is going to go around the world. Okay. Humble. Yeah, and that's the, that's the thing about this kind of situation like David finds himself in is if, if, you continuing, if you're continually showing and acting like Christ, then as we continue in this psalm, let, let's, let's continue in this psalm before I get on the side here. In Psalm 59, he says, because of the strength of his enemy, um, he'll choose not to fight against him, but he'll wait on the Lord. And we saw two incidents here where David waited upon the Lord. He didn't go in there and kill his master. He let the Lord deal with it. And, 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 and God, God um, moved to verse 10. So this is, this is a verse that has meant so much to me because it says, The God of my mercy shall prevent me. God shall let me see my desire upon my enemy. I, I want you to look on your sheet there. And in, in the King James it says, Pre prevent, prevent me. In some other versions, it says, go before me. Uh, I think in the Amplified Bible, it says, anticipate me. But here's what uh, Charles Spurgeon says. 
God will meet me in my time of need. He has supplies prepared before the need occurred. The refuge is built before the danger arose. Far ahead into the future, the foreseen grace of heaven has projected itself and forestalled every difficulty. If I will act as God calls me to act, and instead of trying to exact my revenge, or instead of, instead of trying to play their silly games, instead of getting involved in a, in a, in a Facebook comment battle, instead of getting involved in, I, well, I'll, I'll tag you on this, and I'll tag you on that, instead of getting involved in that, if you turn the other cheek, if you, if you forego any opportunity that you had to maybe put a real dig in there, if you actually protect them from something that would have harmed them, then they may not change. Just like Mike said, they may not change. They may not, just like Saul did. Saul didn't change. He continued to pursue David. He continued to go after him. He continued to try to kill him, even though twice David let him live. Saul continued to try to kill him. And you know, you can, you can get involved in those pushing games and shoving matches and email wars and all that kind of stuff, or you can choose to respond the way God would prefer that you or instructs us to respond. And if we go that way, then what you'll find is in verse 10, the mercy of God shall prevent me. He will make provision before the event shows up. He makes a way of escape before I get into trouble. When I get there, the provision is already there. Why? Because God is showing himself mighty in your behalf. You know, I, 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 I talked to uh, my Sunday school class Sunday morning, and I'll, I'll tell you, when I was about 22 years old, we got involved, and in, I was worked for the power plant, and we had a, a particular piece of equipment that failed, and me and another guy um, wrote a paper about the failure. And uh, he wrote most of it. I, I just kind of amended it a few times. I didn't write hardly any of it, but he wrote most of it. But we wrote it together, so to speak. We co-authored it, and it got accepted to be presented at the symposium up in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. So he couldn't go. So I got sent to Philadelphia. And I'm 22, 23 years old, and I get up there to this symposium. And when I get in there, I realize that I am in way over my head. I realize that all these guys in there, they're metallurgists. They have letters after their name like, PhD and all that kind of stuff and I am a 23 year old engineer who co-authored a paper that I didn't hardly know what I was writing about and during the course of this thing we have to present this paper so I got up there and I read the paper and at the end of it they have a thing called question and answer yes uh oh it's true they started asking questions that I didn't even understand. Some of the questions about in, intergranular movement between the layers of the stratosphere such that the intergranular cracking began to perform a 1.5 millimeter uh, crack and all this kind of stuff. And, and, and what, what was the first indication that, that this was going to occur? And I just, uh, it cracked. I don't know. <laughs> you know? They're asking questions, and I'm serious. I can't even understand the questions. And, and so they pretty quick realized, and other guys start answering for me, you know. These other PhDs, they start answering each other's questions because they've, they've read the paper, and they understand what the paper actually says. I just, I just read it. And when it all said and done, I go back to my motel room, and a few days later, leave and come home. And when I get home, I get informed that there's going to be a book issued that not only has all the papers, but has all the question and answer sessions in it. Oh, you didn't, you didn't, you didn't pucker up like I did whenever I, uh, 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 what? They're going to put the questions and answers in there? I told you, I couldn't answer the questions. And man, I got, I got nervous. I got scared. I said, oh no, this, this can't be. This is going to, this is a disaster like you can't imagine. When the question and answer session came out, when the book came out and they brought it to my desk and set it on my desk and I quickly turned over to my section and I read the question and answers, guess what they put? They put the answers of those other PhDs and they attribute them to me. I sounded like I was smart and I didn't even know what we were talking about. 
And I don't attribute that to sheer, dumb, blind luck. I attributed that to God promoting me. I attribute that to God saying that he was protecting me and keeping me. Because that could have been bad. But instead, I came out looking good. Not, not because of anything that I did, but because of who I serve. God prevented me. He solved the problem before it became a problem for me. He took care of the situation. And that's what happens when you do things God's way. He sees what's coming down the road and he fixes it before it ever becomes a problem for you. He takes care of it before it becomes difficult for you. And if we do it God's way, then we find that, like he says in verse 10, thy mercy shall prevent me. God shall let me see my desire upon my enemies. If we go to 2 Samuel, let's go to 2 Samuel 15. This is a story of Absalom. So David has a son. His name is Absalom. And Absalom um, actually stages an uprising against David. And he actually runs David out of the kingdom. He, he spends uh, many years staging this thing, getting it ready. He finally gets it ready. He blows a trumpet. He has 50 men run before him. They say Absalom's king. And David gets run out of Jerusalem. And here's what we find in 2 Samuel 15, 19 through 22. It says, um, Then said the king to Ittai, the Gittite, Wherefore, going with us, return to your place and abide with, with the king, being Absalom, for you're a stranger and also an exile. Whereas came you this yesterday, should I this day make you go up and down with us, seeing I go where I may, return thou and take, back, take your brethren, mercy and truth be with you. And Ittai said, answered the king and said, as the Lord liveth and as my Lord the king liveth, surely in what place my Lord the king shall be, whether in death or in life, even there shall thy servant be. And David said to Ittai, go and pass over. And he passed over, the Gittite passed over, and the Gittite and all his men and all his little ones that were with him. And if you go over to where David begins to fight against Absalom, you'll find that Ittai is one of the leaders of the army. It's in uh, 18... Verse um, 2, David sent forth the third part of the people under the hand of Joab, Abishai, Joab's brother, and Ittai, the Gittite. God provided for David an army before David needed an army. Do you see that? God provided for a third of his army to be there before David even knew he needed an army. The guy showed up a day in advance. And David didn't even know he needed him. But the next morning when the trumpet sounded and David started to run, who ran with him? The guy that showed up the day before with his army. And God provided for David to be able to have an army to fight against Absalom before David even knew he needed an army. My God, hallelujah. God will, God will fight your battles if you will let him. Or you can get out there and fight it yourself and make a mess out of it. But if you will let the Lord, he will provide for the fight before the fight even occurs. Just like he did with David. If we go to uh, 16, 16, 1, it says in David, he's, he's running from Absalom still. When David was a little past the top of the hill, behold, Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth, met him with a couple of donkeys saddled. And upon them, what did he have? 200 loaves of bread, a hundred bunches of raisins, a hundred summer fruits, and a bottle of wine. And the king said to Ziba, what means thou by these? And he says, the donkeys are for the king's household to ride on, the bread and the summer fruit, and the young men to eat, and the wine such as be faint for those in the wilderness may drink. So as David is running from Absalom, what do we find that God has already provided? He's provided him a man to show up with a third of his army. And when he gets to the top of the hill, as he's running away, he's got a man that's meeting him with food and drink for all of his people. God provided for manpower and food and all the provisions before David even began to, I mean, this guy didn't, this guy didn't gather this stuff up the morning he found out. They, they don't, he didn't run down to Brookshire Brothers and grab all them raisins. He had to cut them off the vine. 
He, he, didn't, he didn't run, gather up all these donkeys. He didn't, he didn't run down to the stable. He already was preparing. I don't know what he thought he was preparing for, but as soon as he heard David was leaving, he said, hey, look at here. I got all this food and stuff already ready. Let's just load it up and go. God provides before you know the need is there. God makes a way of escape before you realize you're in a bind. If you'll do things his way. So let's go back in the last two minutes here and let's go to Psalm 59 and let's finish this up. There's one more point that we need to talk about that you're not going to like. Verses 11 through 13. David says what? Slay them not, lest my enemies forget. Scatter them by thy power and bring them down, O Lord, for the sin of their mouth and the words of their lips. Let them be taken in their pride from cursing and lying which they speak. Consume them in thy wrath. Consume them that they may not be. And let them know that God rules in Jacob unto the ends of the earth. Selah. And what I want you to see is that David in verse 11 says, Slay them not, lest my people forget. What you're going to find is that boss that demoted you, gave you trouble, won't speak to you, put you in a corner, what you're going to find is that he stays boss for a while. Most of the time, they don't get changed out quick. What you'll find about that little group that cut you out and suddenly their own little social clique, what you'll find is that they, stand, they tend to stay friends even though they've cut you out. God doesn't come in there and bust them up they tend to stay friends even though they cut you out. Have you found this to be true? I, I mean, I have. I don't know if you have or not. Slay them not. God doesn't quickly go in there and avenge you and, and bust up the whole joint and make you rise up as king. David had to wait for Saul to die. David had to run from Saul, hide in, in, in the land of the Philistines, he had to wait for Saul to die. And then once Saul died, he had to wait another seven years for God to take care of this guy named Ishbosheth, who was one of Saul's sons. And he had to stay in Hebron for another seven years until that situation was taken care of. And just because, just because David was anointed king, he didn't suddenly become king. He had to wait for the one that was chasing him and trying to kill him. He had to wait for him to run his course. And you say, why would God do that? Why don't God come in there and bust it up and let me, let me see my revenge upon my enemies? Why doesn't God do that? And the answer is the same reason that God doesn't get on to you whenever you fail. He is a merciful God. When the children of Israel, when it was time for them to leave Egypt, God came to a man named Pharaoh and he gave him nine chances. Nine chances to let the children of Israel go before he killed the firstborn. Nine opportunities to do the right thing. Moses, had to go, Moses and Aaron had to go through struggles and trials because at first the children of Israel were encountering the same thing the children of Egypt were. It wasn't until about the fourth or fifth trial that the children of Israel began to be separated. So whatever Moses is calling down on the Egyptians, guess what's happening to the Israelites? The same thing. They're saying, would you quit? <laughs> we don't want flies in our encampment. Quit calling down flies. But Moses was following the Lord and the Lord gave Pharaoh nine chances to change his ways before he finally killed the firstborn. And then he gave Pharaoh the opportunity to leave it alone and just let him go. But Pharaoh chased him before God destroyed his armies. And that's the same thing that will happen with you. That person that you think that God's going to take care of, he may stay in that position a long time. He may, he may, he may retire from there. That, that little group that you've been cut out of, they, they may stay friends for the rest of their lives. You like to think that God's going to come in there, but if you'll, if you'll do what God gives you to do and if you'll be true to what God's given you to do, then he'll take you on a path that promotes you into the very place God wanted you to be, into the very job God wanted you to have, into the very group of people that God wanted you to be a part of, 
God will promote you and place you in that area such that their power, just like Saul's power, their power, their influence, their abilities get less and less and less as yours gets stronger and stronger and stronger. That's, that's the way this works. So whenever you're being wanting to be delivered from great peril, remember not to strike back. Remember to, um, to do the things that I've talked to you about for the last 45 minutes. <laughs> to wait upon the Lord and let the Lord take care of it. To pray for your enemies. To love your enemies. To ask God to bless your enemies. Remember to, that, that, that you're probably in for a long haul, that they're not gonna, probably not going to suddenly fall apart. But every day that you're doing the right thing, every act of righteousness makes a, every act of right makes a man more righteous. Every act of vice makes a man more vicious. So as we continue to go day by day, you'll find your cause getting stronger and stronger and God promoting you while their cause is getting weaker and weaker and weaker. And whenever the Bible says when the wicked die, their kids come and take all their money and spend it. That's in there. That's a scripture. It says when the wicked die, their children come take all their money and spend it. I'll let you find it. But it's in there. While you're exalted and promoted and your children go out like the Bible says as green bay trees spreading out. So how to deliverance from great peril, Psalms 59. All right, stand with me tonight if you would. Anybody have any questions or comments? Yeah. Right. It does. Amen. And if you will, you find out he does know best. He'll put you in the right place at the right time in the right season. So. Heavenly Father, thank you, Almighty God, for your direction tonight. Father, I pray, Lord God, that this has been beneficial father and i pray tonight god that you your holy spirit would drive these words home for us oh god lord god i pray father god if anyone's in a tough situation like this god i pray that you'd give them grace lord god that the peace of god that passes all understanding would guard them by christ jesus that your love your mercy and your truth oh god would would move them forward in you god i thank you for it tonight oh god and give you praise in jesus name and for your glory amen